today we're going to start a story. I call it the tale of two sinners. As we focus on this season, the Easter season, and most of us are so familiar with the story, the passion story, I think sometimes we miss how we fit into this story. And so this week and next week, I'm going to tell this story. It's going to be a little different than I normally do. It's not going to be a point by point and a one, two, three, four and a conclusion. It's a story. I don't know if I'm a good storyteller, but I'm going to tell the story and I hope you'll listen. I'll hope you see how you fit in to this story, to this tale of two sinners. So today is Palm Sunday, as we've mentioned, and throughout the world there is a celebration today of a special event in history, and we'd be remiss to not talk about that special event. And so I'm just going to read to you from Luke chapter 19. They brought the colt to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so here comes Jesus, and he's coming into Jerusalem, and he's the king, and this has been an event that has been prophesied. It's been foretold. We knew it was coming. They knew he was coming. Here comes the king, and the people are shouting, and they love him. He's great. He's the king. He's the Messiah. He's going to save us. So Christ comes into the city victorious, and he's loved, and he's praised. And everybody's excited as they should be when God in the flesh shows up. We should be really excited. But things turn pretty quickly, don't they? We know this story and the religious authorities see the sway Jesus had over the people and they wanted to get rid of him because he challenged their power and their notions of what was supposed to be happening. And so one of his disciples, Judas, turns on him. And this disciple betrays Jesus into the hands of the authorities. And so Jesus is arrested. They come and they get him under the cover of darkness. And they take Jesus through this series of interrogations and abuses and mockeries. And he ends up in the custody of the dreaded Roman Empire. The occupiers. The ruthless bad guys who are controlling the land of Israel. It's not a good place to be. And we pick up the story in Luke chapter 23, and I'll just read it to you. You can follow along here. The whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, You've said so. And Pilate said to the chief priests and crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him. Because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. 
The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! A third time, he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. For whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And we know what happens from here. Jesus goes out, he goes up the hill, he goes to the cross, and he dies. And we're going to dwell on that next week in the second part of this tale. But there's a character here in this story that I read this morning that we often overlook. His name is Barabbas. Why is he here? Why is he in this story? It's just this little snippet that Luke gives us. And we go, what is Luke doing? Why did he put him in here? We might think, well, maybe he's just kind of symbolic. Or maybe Luke just wanted a little sideshow or something. What is going on? What is Luke doing? But we also have to recognize Barabbas appears in all four gospel accounts. I'll show you here in Matthew. Matthew says at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. So when they'd gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called Christ? So Matthew records this scene. Go over to Mark. In Mark, he says, Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. So there we've got Matthew and Mark. And we already read Luke. And not to be left out, John says, After he'd said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release for release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want for want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was an insurrectionist. So here we have four authors who took this account. They interviewed numerous different eyewitnesses. Each of these authors in their account emphasized different aspects of this story. And yet, all of them included this one person, this one piece, this one guy, a bad, bad, bad man. And there's Barabbas, and he appears in all of them. And so we got to conclude, he was a real guy. 
He wasn't a symbol. He wasn't just a sidelight. He was the real deal. We need to pay attention to the story. And what does he mean? What is the point of him here? So we see Barabbas, he's there, he's in prison. Why is he in prison? It says in these accounts that he committed insurrection in the city. He committed murder. He was part of a rebellion. Another place it says he was notorious. Now, we see him, if, as you look at film, film depictions of this account, we see all different kinds of portrayals of Barabbas, right? I've got a few of them here to show you this morning. Here's one. He's the guy over on the right side, kind of looks like a jolly, angry guy. If you zoom in close, he's like missing an eyeball. Kind of a rough-looking dude. You can look back into, you know, something you might put like a little felt figure on an old Bible's picture. And there he is in the middle, and he's, his garment's kind of torn, his chains are falling off. And there have been movies about him, and... It's kind of a handsome-looking Barabbas right there. But however you picture him, doesn't really matter. What is important about this guy? What's important about him? The first thing is we have to ask the question, was he guilty? Was he guilty? Well, I think the answer is unequivocally yes. See, no one in the cloud in the crowd said he wasn't. They didn't say, no, no, that, that Barabbas is wrongfully accused. Let's release him and have this other guy... They didn't say that. It must have been widely known that this Barabbas guy was very much guilty of all the crimes that they said he'd committed. And what was the punishment that he was awaiting? He's in prison. He's awaiting punishment. What was that punishment? It was execution. He was going to die. Why? Well, he committed murder. We see in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, according to the Jewish law, whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. The penalty for murder was death. But it wasn't just death. We see also he was part of rebellion, of insurrection, of an uprising against those dreaded Romans. How do you think the Romans were going to deal with this guy? By by execution... By crucifixion. This is how they dealt with that. Why did they deal with that? Because crucifixion was a public form of torture and execution that was meant to send a message to other people, don't do what this person did. This guy, he tried to have a rebellion against us. Don't even think about doing that, or this is where you're going to end up. That's how they dealt with it. That's what Barabbas was waiting for. He was guilty. He got caught. He was on death row. He was awaiting execution by crucifixion. So Pilate says, hey, I'll release a prisoner to you guys. And we see from the passage, this must have been some sort of custom. And we don't really know a whole lot about that custom, about why or how. But it seems clear that they had it. And common sense would dictate if the Romans are going to come to you and say, hey, we're going, to, we're going to release for you somebody, you'd be like, well, let's get that guy who was wrongfully accused, who the Romans are just sort of bullying, and let's get him back, and let's get the innocent guy out who shouldn't be there. And I'm sure the Romans did that as a way of just having to curry favor with this nation of Israel that they were occupying. And yet we see it it doesn't really make sense because the innocent one here is Jesus. He was completely and utterly innocent. Pilate says, I do not find this man guilty. I find nothing wrong with this man. He sends him to Herod and Herod goes, I can't find anything wrong with this guy. We know that Jesus himself said, I haven't committed sin. John chapter 8 verse 46, he says, who of you can convict me of sin? Nobody can because he was sinless. We go on in the story, we go up to the thief who's next to him on the cross and the thief says, this guy is 
innocent. Even I know he's innocent. There's a centurion there. He says, surely this guy was innocent. We all understand Jesus was completely and utterly innocent. And so we got Barabbas. And do you know what Barabbas means? You take that word and that language. Bar Abbas means son of the father. Son of the Father. So here we have this moment, and Pilate offers a choice. He says, you can have the Son of the Father or the Son of God. The Son of the earthly Father or the Son of the heavenly Father. Which one do you want to choose? Which one should I release? It kind of seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Choose. Do you want God or do you want man? Who do you want? Do you want the one who is utterly and completely innocent or the one who is horrifically, obviously, unquestionably guilty? Which one do you want? In the crowd, they pick the guilty one. And they sent Jesus on to die. See, in their rage, in their fury, they are whipped up into this fury by their spiritual leaders. They send the innocent man to his death. Given the choice, they say, we'll take the rebel. We'll take the insurrectionist. We'll take the murderer. We'll take the guilty one. And I think our tendency is to say, what is wrong with you, crowd? Our sense of justice is offended, isn't it? We go, this is not just. See, we all want justice. We all want justice, social justice, and human justice, and justice for all. We say, justice is fairness. I want it to be fair. This situation, it's not fair. It's not right. It's not good. It's not equal. It's not square. With all the disagreement we have in society about what's right and what's wrong, we all, I think, can agree a murderer should not walk free while the innocent should be executed. That's not just. Can't we agree on that? We want to sit here and yell at this crowd and say, come on, what are you thinking? And yet, what if the crowd had selected Jesus? And he'd released Jesus, and Jesus had gone free. What if they realized that that was a mistake? It'd be foolish to have the innocent man and not the guilty man. That'd be not, that would just be unjust. Because we know what happens afterwards. Christ, he goes out, he goes up the hill, he goes to the cross. And on the cross, he takes our sin, he takes our shame, he takes the penalty due to us. So if they'd released him, would we have lost the cross? I don't know, maybe we should thank the crowd. But it wasn't really up to the crowd. It was up to God. See, remember Jesus? There he is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and he's like, God, is there any other way? Is there some other way we can take care of this problem, this issue? Can we bring salvation to the world some other way besides me going to the cross? And there wasn't another way. That was it. This was it. This needed to happen. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the price. And he knew that he was the only person who could pay that. So here we are in this situation. I want you to imagine for a second absolutely the most unjust thing you could think of. What is it? What is it in your mind? Is it some kind of murder? Somebody dying unfairly? Maybe you think about someone who's a really good parent and them having their kids taken away from them. Or maybe you'd think about going to prison for a crime you didn't commit. 
Whatever it is, the worst thing you can think of, the most unjust thing possible, what happens here is worse than that on the scale of justice. It is an absolute and utter miscarriage of justice. It is the unadulterated face of evil at work. There's this cosmic battle raging and evil has aligned itself against that Son of God. They're ready to defeat. They're ready to destroy the Son of God and send Him to His death. And into this battle drops Barabbas. Here's Barabbas, the Son of the Father. And he's as guilty as sin and he knows it and he's headed to a violent punishment and he deserves it because the demands of justice will be met on Barabbas. It's just a matter of time until he goes to that cross. And then suddenly he's free. Free. He gets freed. The chains are removed. The punishment is lifted off of Barabbas. Justice is served. The demands of justice are met. Barabbas, the criminal, the murderer, the rebel, the one who got caught in his crimes, he's free. No more payment is due. Nothing else is required because Jesus pays for the crimes of Barabbas. You see where this is headed, right? What Jesus did for Barabbas is a picture of what he's done for you and me. Because every single one of us is just like Barabbas. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is a rebel. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of this sin is death. We're all rebels. We're all sinners. We're all murderers. We're all caught in this. And what's due to us is death. But Jesus has chosen to take that penalty. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin, who was utterly innocent, to become sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. And I had no influence on that decision. I didn't ask God to send a substitute. Barabbas didn't ask for that. God just did it. The utterly innocent, the one who has no sin, is tortured, he's humiliated, and he's executed in place of me, the utterly guilty. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. Why? So that he might bring us to God. And now we get to go free. Barabbas gets to go free. I get to go free. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, chapter 1. There is no more condemnation. We can be free. Well, why did he do it? Why did he do it? Why did Jesus do this? Why did God do it? Well, Jesus himself answers the question earlier on in his ministry. In Mark chapter 2, it records, it is not, Jesus saying, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I have come to call Barabbas. 
Because I'm a sinner. I'm a murderer. I'm a rebel. I'm caught in my crimes. I'm Barabbas. The penalty is due. It is just. And I am headed towards judgment. And the penalty of that judgment is death and eternal separation from God. That's just why I deserve it. Why did he choose it? Why did Jesus choose to pay the penalty for the utterly corrupt and sinful person? There's one answer, and we sang about it this morning. Love. Because God loved me. That's why he did it. John 3.16, God so loved the world. He loved you, and he loved me so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So when we go to this story and we look at the sinner, we look at Barabbas, we should look at him and instead of thinking of him as the corrupted and evil person, we might ought to think of him as a creation loved by God. See, Barabbas didn't walk free on some technicality. There was no legal glitch. There was no lost paperwork. God was fully in control and it all went according to his plan. God loved Barabbas and God let him go free. And God loves you. And he loves me. And he wants us to go free. Even though we're corrupted, sinful, murderers, rebels, he lets Christ take the blows that are due to us. He lets Christ take the abuse, the lashes, the crown of thorns, the mocking insults. He lets Christ take the cross. He lets him walk up that hill and die painfully, slowly, horribly, publicly. And he lets me walk away free. And free is what salvation is. All we have to do, as it says in that verse, is believe. That's all we have to do. We don't then have to go act and earn back what Christ has done. We don't have to become religious. We don't have to become do-gooders. It's free. We don't have to go be free and run up that hill after Christ and try to die on the cross and try to earn the gift given by the innocent one. We don't have to do that. As completely and utterly innocent as Christ is, is how completely and utterly free the gift of salvation is. All we have to do is accept it. All we have to do is accept it. See, I think if Barabbas really wanted to, he could have just stood there and said, No way. I ain't taking it. I will not go free. I will not take these chains off. I will not leave this prison. I will not walk away from death row. I will not accept the gift of an innocent one given in my place. I am guilty and I deserve my punishment. He could have said that. And we'd all say, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? Don't be a fool. You've been given a gift. You've been given freedom. It's free. Take it. But isn't that the same as us? Those of us who won't accept the free gift of salvation that Christ offers to us? It's free. Take it. Don't stay there in the chains, but some of us won't take it. Some of us won't take it. And there's another level to touch here about Barabbas. See, we don't know what happens to him afterwards. 
None of the stories tell us what happens to Barabbas. We can probably reasonably assume he received the gift and he's released and he did walk free, but we have no idea what he did with his freedom. We have no idea. Did he become a disciple? Did he become a church leader? Did he devote his life to telling the good news about the innocent one who saved him from death? If you're like me, you probably wish Luke or John or Mark or Matthew would say, see, the free gift results in a changed life. Barabbas was changed. Receive it and you become a devoted follower of Christ. Or that we look to Acts or we look to the epistles and Paul and the other guys would say, yeah, remember Barabbas? See, here he is. They don't say it. They don't mention him. We don't know. So instead, we kind of have to wonder, did he return to his ways of crime? Did he go back to his fellow rebels and say, hey, let's get another insurrection going here? Did he live up to his freedom or did he use his freedom to commit more acts of rebellion? And before we get carried away and think, who would do such a thing? Who would do that? We have to stop and ask, aren't I just the same as that? Aren't I just the same? I too have a choice. I can take this gift and I can put it to use. I can serve the God who gave it to me. I can tell others the good news that he came to justly take their punishment. I can take the free gift and I can become a devoted follower of Christ. Or I can turn and go back to my sin. I can go back to my ways. I can go back to my rebellion and my murder and my strife and my insurrection. That's what being free means. It's a free gift. We can do that. And so we have to look at Barabbas. We have to look at the sinner. And we have to ask ourselves, who am I? And the answer I come to is I know that I am Barabbas. I am guilty of horrible, despicable sin. I am guilty. There is no escape. Justice is due, and it will be served on me. And each one of you can say that too. So where are you at in that? All of you who also can say that you are Barabbas, who are you? The real question is, have you received the free gift of the innocent one? Have you received it? Have you allowed him to die in your place? Have you allowed him to take the penalty that's due for you? The wages of sin is death. There's a penalty there. Have you allowed Christ to stand in your place? Or are you keeping the chains on? Are you saying, no, I'm going to keep living in in prison. I'm going to continue to be destined for eternal punishment. Or have you received the free gift? Or maybe you're a Barabbas who has walked free. You go, yeah, I take that free gift, but now you're using that freedom to continue in ways of sinful rebellion and insurrection against God. Or maybe you're a Barabbas and you've walked free and you turned not to that, but you've turned to maybe a life of pleasure, a life focused on you, on your concerns, on your wants, on your feelings. Are you using the freedom given to you by Jesus to be selfish? 
Or maybe you're a Barabbas that has recognized the great gift paid to you at such a great price. Are you living your life devoted to honoring the one who stood there and took it for you? Who took the penalty of justice that was due? Are you telling others? Are you telling your kids? Are you telling your family? Are you telling your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends? Are you telling them about this free, life-changing gift? Are you letting this freedom daily mold and shape your person and your choices? That's the message of this sinner. The tale of Barabbas shows us that we can be free and that this freedom comes for free. And once we have that freedom, we can do what we wish with it. So I close by asking you this. What do you want to do with your freedom? What do you want to do with your freedom? So as I pray here, let's examine our hearts. Let's think about who we are and how God would have us use our freedom. God, I thank you for the free gift of salvation. God, as I see this story, I see myself standing there and saying, I don't deserve to have this innocent one take my place. I don't deserve it. But God, it was your plan, it is your will, and you did it because you love me. You love each one of us. And you give that free gift to us for free. And you give us the opportunity to have the chains fall off and to walk free. And then you give us the choice. We can do what we want. The punishment has been paid and now we have freedom. God, each one of us is sort of there, probably in that story and in the struggle, and it depends on the day or the hour or the minute of where we want to use our freedom. God, help, help us by your Spirit. Help bring us back to a place, into a path of serving you. God, when I think about the awesome thing that you've done of giving your son, God, I wouldn't give up my son for anybody. Especially not if he was innocent. I wouldn't give him up. But you did. You gave us this free gift. And God, when I think about that and I remember that and I preach that gospel to myself, I say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to mold my life around what you have given me to go after. I want to tell others about it. So Lord, wherever we're at today, as we engage with this story and we see how each one of us fits and can stand in the shoes of Barabbas, Help us to make choices. Draw us close to you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the free gift that we can receive. In Jesus' name, amen.